So just a few years ago, I had found myself working two jobs and just my time was so stretched thin that I didn't have time to do anything except work and then go home and I'm a single parent. So um, that was really all I had time for. So when I left my other job, um, it opened up opportunities for me. And it's, it's easy to think that I'm at the church all the time, so I'm serving, right? I'm always serving. But in actuality, I wanted to draw a line between what is my job and what is the serving that comes from my heart. Like, what am I passionate about? And I really felt called that with the free time that I had that I didn't want to, I wanted to make sure I, I made good use of that time. And at the same time as I left my other job, God had brought some things to the surface um, from my past of being a single parent and some things that I had gone through. And I wanted, I knew specifically I wanted to work with young moms or moms that found themselves in, in tough situations. Um, at the same time, Jess Clements was working on starting uh, TMC, Teen Mother Choices, here at Alpine. And I had a friend that just kind of said, do you think that it is a coincidence that Jess is starting this ministry at the same time that you are leaving your other job and all these things are coming to the surface about helping other moms and I I had to doubt like am I equipped to do this like is this everything I do is task oriented and it's um, business and this is people this is making people my passion um, but God has equipped me every step of the way to to take the next best step so it, it's it's really cool because specifically this week we had one of these teen moms talk about her story with the father of her child and just how it's been tumultuous and how um, there's been a lot of pain and a lot of, um, it's just an unhealthy situation. And literally as she was telling her story, it just, I could have said those words 10 years ago. At the time that I became a single mother, I was hopeless. I thought I had no other options. I was alone. And I thought, well, this is, this is it for me. I mean, this is as good as it's ever gonna get. And so to be able to look in a girl's eyes who's telling their story, and it sounds exactly like my story, but to be able to flip it and say, wait a second, I know how you felt, I was in your shoes, but there's a hope, and that hope is Jesus. And to, to be able to give back to her what people gave to me when I first started coming to this church. When I came to this church, I didn't know Jesus. I was, I was alone. And so to have people that came alongside me and said, like, we're here for you, and have you heard about Jesus? And, and it changed the entire trajectory of my life. The Bible says that all things work together for good um, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And if you would have told me that 10 years ago when I was in that dark spot, I would have said, yeah, okay, whatever, like, sure. But now to sit in this spot and go, everything that happened, everything that happened along the way in the past 10 years has actually led me to this moment in time. Like, like this moment to be able to help these girls, to be able to, to point them towards the truth, like to now to see that that's true. Like he has worked all those things that were so dark in my life for the good of these teen girls is just, it, it blows me away. Like I've, I've seen God's goodness in ways that I, I don't think I've had been able to before because I'm seeing my own story reflected in somebody else. And I am so grateful to be able to serve with these girls. Don't you love good stories?
just want to say welcome. Good morning. Uh, I'm glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, thanks for choosing to be here today. Uh, my name is Dave Mudd. I'm one of the pastors here at Alpine. And last Sunday night, we had a marriage event here that saw over 150 couples pack this room out. That's awesome. Let me tell you, that was huge. And everybody who attended got a chance to hear from a guy named Josh Straub, who just um, ha- has a degree, uh, more degrees than I probably care to admit. Um, incredible, me- probably the best message I've ever heard on how to interact as a couple to experience that miracle of oneness was absolutely incredible. At the end, every couple was given a couple's checkup. It's something you can actually go do online to kind of see where you are as a couple. And then it points out areas that you can celebrate because you need that, right? There-, there are things you're doing right. And that's good. And then some areas that maybe not so great. And we don't feel shame and guilt about those. We just lean in and, and learn to grow closer. Um, so if you haven't done that yet, Natalie and I did it on Monday, and it was like, whoo, we're doing really good in a lot of areas, and then in a lot of areas, not so much. So it was fun, um, enlightening. I would encourage you to do that if you haven't done that. Also, if you didn't get a chance to go or be part of that, um, there's a discount on the couple's checkout that I would encourage you to do. So if you want to be part of that as a couple um, and get all of that great information that helps you grow, then I would have you text the word CHECKUP to 97000 and you'll get all the information plus the discount. It's only $20 to take it, which is a pretty cool thing that could help you, could save your marriage for 20 bucks. Totally kidding. I'm not selling it like that, <laughs> but it is just 20 bucks. <laughs> Let me do one more thing this morning. Cast a little bit of vision. We live in a culture um, that when something gets 80% full, it feels full. And people begin to make decisions to do something different than be part of something that's 80% full. Our 10 o'clock service is 100% full. Well, there are some faculty of seats, but it's hard. And we do have people that come at 10 o'clock to visit and realize they can't find a seat and they do leave. And so we thought that we would just ask. There is an 8.30 service and then there is an 11.30 service. That if anybody in the tent is sitting here going, you know what, I could do one of those. And you call this place home. Um, we would invite you to do that so we can make some space. Um, this, this tends to be the time that people like most. So it would be a sacrifice. Speaking of sacrifice, we're talking about serving is our privilege. Does that feel like a bait and switch? Nope. Um, we're in a series called uh, Living Values. Super excited. Two more weeks of this. There are eight values that we've determined that we want to live like. And what would happen if the values of God became our values? And not just our values as a church, but our values as families. And not just as families, but in individuals. It impacts our neighborhood. It impacts our workplace. It impacts everything. So we live like these things are true. Now, it's kingdom living, not me living. Okay, it's all about what I want to do with and for God. And so the last seven weeks, um, we've been talking about this. And the reason we chose mirrors was so that during the service we could shine lights in your eyes. That was the only reason. It's not true. Mirrors um, are an interesting part of our culture, aren't they? I say interesting because for good or for bad, they're here. Right? When you look in the mirror, we want the mirror to be the obvious thing is because we don't want to go try to do these things, work harder, because that's religion. When we experience Jesus, he changes everything. And the one thing he changes most is what we value, what we want, what we desire. If we'll allow him, it's called surrender. It's called sanctification. It's working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so we want to look in the mirror as people who love Jesus and looking back at us by the way we live our life are these truths. One, that Jesus is our hope. 
And what that means is that there is no other hope in the world but the hope that we have in Jesus. Nothing else can hold your hope but Jesus. That hope is a confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God. The only person who is who he says he is and does what he says he'll do is Jesus. And so we cling to those promises, and the more we remember them, the more we grow our hope because of that truth. We also talked about people being our passion. I love this one because this is the one that gets thrown back in your face all the time. I thought people were your passion. Right? You ever had that? But it doesn't change its truth. Why? Because people are God's passion. The very center of God's heart is people. His creation, if you will, made in his image. And so if God loves people and people are important to God and every person our physical eye sees is deeply loved by God, then we want that to be true about us. And the way you know that that's growing in your life is to the degree that you allow people to come as they are knowing that you don't change them by your words, but God changes them through the power of his Holy Spirit. So we let Jesus do that work. We get to love. People are our passion. Worship is our response. We live in a culture that worships a lot of things. And if you really look at the deepest desires and wants and loves of our heart, ultimately, a lot of times, God isn't there. But we believe that God is the only one who deserves our loves and our wants and our desires. And so we want to transition them from the things of this world to the things of God. That our response isn't just worship in our song. That's part of it but it's also worship with our life, and that's obedience. That community is our design, that there's a lot of community in the world that's false community. Real community for the follower of Jesus is community that helps you grow in Christ. People who will champion your heart because it's not easy. Isolation being huge, it's the enemy's plan to get you isolated, then you feel despair, and then you are hopeless. But we believe that good biblical community will actually help you be known and know others. We believe that as a result, transparency and vulnerability would come. Not transparency for transparency's sake, just because it's cool to be transparent. But when we're transparent, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And so we help each other grow in that area. As a result, accountability is there. And we love to be held accountable, don't we? <laughs> one of our favorite things. Make, you know, just hold me accountable. Help me do what God wants me to do. It's a good thing. And then mission. That life has a purpose. And it's God's purpose. We talked about faith as our foundation. That faith is really trusting God. And if you want to live a life that lasts, you learn to trust God. Last week, generosity is our norm. That everything we have, we have because God gave it to us. And to be stewards of God's stuff is to give it away. To hold loosely. The tighter you hold, the faster you lose it. But if you hold loosely, not only can God pour things in, but he can move things out. Today, serving is our privilege. Woo! Right? Good. You're excited. Let me say a couple things about this, give you kind of the punchline before we get there. I think for most of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, we would say that I really want my life to look like Christ. Like if I had to say that there's one thing that I want to celebrate at the end of my life, that it looks a lot like Jesus. If that's you, you're a follower of Jesus, you said, I would love that. If my life could look like Jesus every moment of every day, that would be a great goal. Okay, listen to this. I want you to get this. I am most like Jesus. I am most like Jesus when I serve others. If, if, you, if you want a litmus test, if you want something to measure your life against, I am most like him when I am serving others. Okay? Let me also say this. Um, we're not talking about creating chunks of time to serve in the church or to do some service here or to be able to say, I did an act of service. 
We are talking not about a chunk of time, but the giving of my life. Not what comes from what I have left, but what comes from every moment that I actually have. That there is this sacrifice, this desire to give up so that God can do what he... Not a burden of my faith, but a benefit of my faith. That's what we're talking about. Everybody stand with me this morning as we read from the Word of God. We do this in these moments because we honor God's word. We love God's word. It is life. It is truth. It's what sets us free. And so this moment will be absolutely paramount to the whole conversation. If you're here and you don't have a Bible or a phone, that would be absolutely weird. But we have Bibles in the back if you would love to grab one. 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. How many hope you don't love the world today? For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. We move to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) I mean, okay. Jesus said, uh, what do you want me to do for you? There had to be, come on, there had to be some moment where Jesus went, okay. What do you want me to do for you? It's 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 a great question. Weird question. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I baptize with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. He basically just said, you missed the point. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. How could you ask such a dumb question was not what they were thinking. What they were thinking is, why didn't we think of that? That's what they were thinking. And they are angry that they thought of it before they did. Maybe. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Jesus started a revolution in that moment. He changed everything. He turned it upside down for every person that would follow from here on out. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, though he could have. If anybody deserved to, it would be him. Did not come to be served, but to serve And even more so, give his life as a ransom for many. The word of God. So Lord, in these moments, we just pray that you would have your way in our hearts. We relinquish control. We muzzle the spirit of fear in Jesus' name. And we invite you, God, to encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me just say, as we get rolling here, okay, because this is fundamentally important. When we look at these different things up here, 
I think it's okay to say, I see some of this coming from my life. I see the values of God at work in my life and be encouraged by that. How many would say, I've had some of those moments the past seven weeks where I'm like, yeah, I see that. When I look in the mirror, I see glimpses. Woo! Celebrate it. We are so hard on ourselves, right? But for some of these, we're going to see these and we're going to realize that they're actually not there to the degree that we would love them to be there. They may not be there at all. Or you may actually really be doing well. But when they're not there, here's what you don't do. You don't step into guilt, shame, and condemnation about how horrible you are. What we need to do is lament the fact that we're missing out on what God says is the greatest life, the full life, the kingdom life, and go, I don't want to be like this anymore, but I want to be like that. And God will respond to that. Okay, having said that, most often when we hear a message on serving, we're asked to go to the gym afterwards to sign up for a ministry. I'm just saying, whenever you're in the church today and there's a serving message, we go ballistic in the gym to set up all the ministries so that when you come out of here, you have a place to serve because it is all about us. Not today. Okay, and here's why. Last week when we talked about generosity being our norm, we said that it's not less than your money. It's a big part of it, but it's way bigger than that. Generosity has to do with our time, our talent, our treasures, our forgiveness, our convenience, our comfort. It's everything. When we talk about serving being our privilege, I think it's so easy for the American mindset to say, okay, we're talking about a chunk of my time. Nope, I'm talking about your heart. I don't want a chunk of your time. God wants your entire heart. And so if we put tables in there for you to go serve, we're only talking about the lowest hanging fruit. It really is wherever you place your feet on any given day, wherever your hands reach to touch, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And we are either his servants or we are not. That's strong, right? So I just want you to know there's no ministry fair afterwards. So, what is serving? Um, serving is what servants do. <laughs> you came all the way for that. I mean, I'm trying to be as simple as possible, right? Serving is what servants do. Here's why I say that. Because as I read the word of God and I understand that when I put my faith and trust and hope in Jesus, I am a servant of God. I sign up to lay it all down and serve him and serve the world. Okay, that's what I'm buying into. Let me give you the simplest definition of what it means to serve somebody. It means to meet their needs, meet the needs of others. That's what serving is. Matter of fact, this term is used, the word is a bond servant. If you want a physical picture of that, it would be the slaves below the ship in the days when they rode their own ship. They were below, nobody saw them, but they experienced their, their work and their serving. It is this ultimate desire to not be seen, not need recognition, not find your value in what you do for others, but simply do for others because it's in you to do so because God so gloriously did for you. Ha! Right? Some of you just went, oh. Right? 
So we're just processing. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Serving is what servants do. I'm a servant of God. I'm living to meet the needs of others. And it's a heart change where the attitude of my heart is impacted because of the love of God. Let me say it to you like this, and I need you to get this. Because if you're sitting here going, how do I develop a heart of a servant? God does that. And you partner with him. And here's what it looks like. God's love for us empowers us to serve others. So to the degree that I understand the love of God and to the degree that I let that love sink in and penetrate and impact my heart, the natural outflow of the love of God loving me, I will serve others because the best way to love others is to serve them and the best way to love God is to serve them. It would just come out. But let me say it further. Developing a servant heart is about cultivating an attitude of serving through the love of Jesus. And growing a servant heart is about building that attitude of serving that becomes second nature to us. And sometimes there's times you're doing it and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel like second nature, but that's okay. Because you're working and building that in you because you're understanding the love of God. And as you understand the love of God, you're doing what God asked you to do. And at some point in the journey, because of the Holy Spirit, it becomes second nature. And your reasons for doing it is so that one, you get a chance to love God back by loving others. And two, people get to see the glory of God, not you. Now listen, my dad, my dad and mom growing up, as kids we grew up with, with two parents who I, I think are the greatest servants of God I've ever met. We were always in the car before my parents. The car would be running, we would be sitting in the car forever. Why? Because my parents were always the last people to leave anywhere. <laughs> Period. It didn't matter what was going on. They were, why? Because my dad had to leave everything better than he found it. He had to make sure that everything was back where it needed to go and that there was no more help needed before he ever left a building anywhere, anytime, no matter what. As a kid, it was exhausting. But let me explain something to you. Serving others isn't always the ministry Serving others is the byproduct of a heart that loves God. And ministry comes out of genuine serving because people notice your life and they go, what's going on in you? Because there's something in you I want. And my parents have had the opportunity to impact hundreds and hundreds of lives because they were there till the last person. And I learned something. My dad used to always say, everything worth doing is worth doing right the first time. And I learned it that way because I rarely did it right the first time. That's why he would always say it to me. (laughs) We are followers of Jesus. If anybody ought to do it right the first time and do it with excellence and love and compassion, it ought to be us. Like Jesus did for us when God gave his son to die on a cross. So what is the greatest attack on a servant heart? Because I think most of us who follow Jesus would go, yeah, I know God loves me and he loves me as I am. And I'm unbelievably in awe of how no matter what I've done or who I am, his grace is there for me and his mercies are new. And so of course I want other people to know and experience that. And yet the life we live is probably more often selfish than serving. And we're sitting here going, what is going on? And I am going to give you in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, this is the greatest attack on your heart, your servant's heart. And God gives you the remedy when he says, do not love the world. 
Just don't love the world. Whatever you do. Listen, the enemy of our soul attacks us from three fronts. The world, the flesh, and the devil himself. He lies to us. The flesh just wants to meet its desires. It's all about self. And the world is doing everything in its power to keep you from knowing God by focusing on yourself. Okay, are you with me? Do not love the world. The reason he is saying that is because he knows that the love that comes from loving the world, the loves, the desires, the wants that end up at the core are not the desires and loves that, he, that are his or satisfy or align with him. And as a result, it will kill us. It will destroy us versus give us life to the full. So through John, there is this sense of don't, whatever you do, don't love the world. According to 1 John 2, if your love, if your love for God is, is lukewarm this morning or if there's a coldness or if you're wondering why there's no passion or no fire, I want you to hear this. It's probably because love for the world has begun to take over your heart and choke your love for God. And having said that, the love of the world and the love of the Father cannot coexist in the same place. That's why Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. They cannot coexist. You cannot be passionate for the things of this world. And we sit here going, yeah, I'm not at all. But we don't even realize how in-depth we are, how buried we are in the world in which we live. And those two cannot coexist. The love for the world will ultimately push the love of God out. Here's what's true. Every heart loves something. And the very essence of our nature is desire. There is nobody in this room who doesn't want something. And at the center of our heart is this spring of longing. Longing to be fulfilled, to find value, to find, and God is going, let me be that source. We want God to own our wants. That's what servants, servants want God to have our wants and to have our desires and to have our loves. So for everything in the world, he gives us this. So what is this world that we are not to love? Verse 16 says it's characterized by three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the makeup of the world. That's where a lot of times our idolatry goes, our loves, our passions, our wants, our desires, they all go that way. Let's unpack that. The word for life does not refer to the state of being alive, but rather to things in the world that make life possible. The pride of life, things that make life possible. Let me unpack that. In Mark 3, 17, it's translated goods. Anyone who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love even abide in him? When you have this life that could be meet the needs of another, and you don't do it, or we don't do it, we're in this together, by the way, how does God's love even exist in you? That's what he's saying. Jesus uses the word in Mark 12, 44, when he says about the widow's might, the poor widow in the temple, put in everything that she had, her whole living, everything she had, she put in all of her living. So the phrase pride of life means pride in what you possess, the things that you have. And here's how the three descriptions of the world relate to each other. I want you to get this, because here's what's robbing us of this servant's heart that God so desperately wants to move in our hearts to, to, to see the world, for the world to see. Yeah, I can talk. I'm trying to talk too fast. The first two, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes, refer to desires for what we don't have. Whether those are physical or whether those are things that are just attractive. And the third, the pride of life, refers to the pride in what we do have. 
Is anybody, does anybody have things out there that you want that you don't have, but you want it, but you don't have? I mean, come on, this is participatory. Don't lie in church. Even do this. If you got to do this, that's totally fine too. Does anybody have pride in the things that you have? And I'm not talking necessarily about the good pride, but there's just some bad pride in there. Somebody put your hands down like, no, no bad pride in me at all. <laughs> okay. The world is driven by these two things, passion for pleasure and pride in possession. Okay. First John ends with this ringing command, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Whether they're crude idols or they're cultured idols, meaning we can justify them. Anything in this world that is not God can rob your heart of the love of God. And remember, if your heart is robbed of the love of God because you love the world, you will lose the servant heart. Now, if somebody's sleeping next to you, wake them up because I see a few. I mean, it's bold to sleep in church, but that's totally cool. We, we can wake you up. Anything in this world, I'm going to say it again because you missed a good one. Anything in this world that is not God, <laughs> you know, when I do that, ADD moment, when I do that, people come up and they go, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I didn't see you, but that's good. <laughs> you know, here it is. Anything in this world, I just lost some time. Anything in this world that is not God can rob your heart of the love of God. Anything that is not God can draw your heart away from God. And sometimes you don't even know it. And you sit here going, man, I'm not as close to God as I used to be or I want to be. And I'm telling you, it's because the love of the world is in you. And he's saying, don't do that because to the degree that you do that is the degree you cannot love God. If you don't have it, it can fill you with a passion to get it. This is what the world does, this love of the world. And if you get it, it can fill you with pride that you've got it. But against the pride of life, the apostle says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though it were not a gift? Let him who boasts only boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4. So there, let there be no boasting in possession. They're all God's. That, we, we talked about that last week. And against the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. That's how we protect our hearts. I just don't want anything but God. And so God, take everything else and use it for your glory. Simply put, may we desire nothing but God, possess nothing but God, and pursue nothing but God. What would that look like? So what does John say about these things? It doesn't come from the Father, but it comes from the world. The world and its desires pass away. Listen, folks, you can put your hope in all of that crap, but it passes away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. What we think makes us great in this world only eludes us. And all of that loving of the world is about worldly greatness. Young people, I hope you get this early in life. I didn't. When we love the world, we lose sight of God. And when we lose sight of God, we lose sight of what greatness actually is. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The will of God is what God longs for, for your benefit. And so my will, where my heart is, is my heart is to choose to do what God wants me to do. So what are you choosing? Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, listen, here's what you've got to choose. He lays it out for us. Jesus calls them together. You know, 
that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's the way of the world. That's the way of religion. That's the way of power over subjecting people, oppression, if you will. Not so with you. Don't let any of that in. None of it. Instead, I love when he gives an instead because it means it's better. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Follower of Jesus, not so with you. Is our invitation to the revolution Jesus started. Instead of chasing what this world calls great, instead of chasing what ultimately passes away, instead of finding your love tied up in what you have and what you want, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he models it for us, did not come to be served, though he could have. He came to serve and give his life so that you and I could have this awesome relationship with Jesus. I am the most like Jesus when I serve others. Let me hit real quick, if I can. What is privilege then? If that's what serving is all about. And doesn't that sound wonderful? To have that kind of heart that just wants to serve no matter what. What is privilege? Because we're really careful the words we choose here. Like we got in a room and we battled this. We prayed, we fought, we punched each other. Not really, but it was important. Privilege is is, is a big word in our culture today. Here's what it means, a special right, an advantage, or immunity granted, or availability, or available only to a particular person or group. So why that word, especially with it being such a hot button in our culture today with white privilege and male privilege and um, able body privilege and all the privileges that come with privilege. That was profound again. Here's what somebody, a culturist who's not a believer, said about privilege. And I want you to hear this. I thought it was really interesting. Having privilege isn't about deliberately demanding something. (laughs) This is good. It's just about the circumstances of your life that give you benefits you never asked for. See, we can sit here today and say, I didn't ask to be a servant of everybody. I didn't ask that I would have to become last and least to be great and ask for that. No, you didn't. It's true. But listen, I want you to hear it again. It's just about the circumstances of your life that give you benefits you never asked for. See, for those of us who love Jesus, the circumstances of our life is that we have been reconciled to God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as a result, we're becoming like him. And so it is our benefit It is to our benefit, not our burden, to serve this world because I am most like Jesus when I am serving others. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the enemy of your soul, the devil has conned you to think that if you'll go after the world's passions and loves and desires that it will fulfill you, but it won't. I'm not young because I'm mad at you. I'm really excited. (laughs) Listen to me. He's saying the benefit of a heart to serve will transform not just you, but the world. Your greatest impact lies there. Your greatest influence. Oh, sheesh. I lost my place. What does it mean then that serving is our privilege? What does that look like? Let me give this to you in closing. So in everything, Matthew 7, 12, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, by the way, we misread that all the time. It's the golden rule, right? 
So just make sure that you treat others the way you would want to be treated. This is not a passive command. This is an active one. This isn't saying wait for the opportunity to come for you to do to somebody what you would want them to do to you or treat them. It says go do for others what you would want them to come and do for you if you were in the same place knowing that you'll get nothing in return. That's what it's saying. And then I love how we put paragraph breaks in the Bible that didn't mean to be there or go there. Because if you keep reading, it says, do to others as you would have them do to you. This is what the Bible's talking about. Enter through the narrow gate, which leads to life. This isn't going to be easy. But man, when you do it, there is life that comes in your soul and in others. But if you refuse to do it like most of the world does because we're loving the world instead of loving God, you will enter down the wide road that leads to destruction. It destroys. And so then Jesus, this is, this is what Jesus did. This is, this is good. Coming right out of, this is, think about this. Coming right out of, listen, James and John, stupid question, okay? Who's going to sit on the right and left thing? That was dumb. The disciples are going, glad we didn't ask that question, right? We're not going to use our power and authority to lord over people. If you actually want to be great, you'll be a servant of all, right? And they're all like, all right, yes. And they leave. Here, so pick it up right from there. You ready? Mark chapter 10, 46. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. Remember the conversation they'd had? They're leaving the city. We are almost always leaving or coming, going or, or stopping or staying. We are so busy, so in a hurry that we often miss the very things God would call us to do. So they're leaving. There's this, they're leaving the city. They're on their way somewhere. How many of you, when you get on your way somewhere, you're going to get there no matter what? You have tunnel vision on the way. And a lot of times I have been on my way to church determined to not go to Starbucks and I end up in Starbucks parking lot. Anybody ever do that? It's weird. And you go, oh, that was autopilot, right? That's why Dallas Willard said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly. Listen to this. Here it is. They're leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. He knew him. <laughs> Listen. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, you've got to understand, it's a large crowd. So what does he do next? Well, first of all, many rebuke him and told him to be quiet. Isn't that awesome? If you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to be a servant of all. Hey, stop bothering Jesus. We're going somewhere. Right? Like the opportunity they had to just go, wait a minute, somebody is in need. <laughs> Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. I love this guy. And I have to shout all the more because the Bible says he shouted all the more. <laughs> Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, is he good? Jesus stopped. Why did Jesus stop? Jesus stopped because he heard him. I think had he heard him the first time, he would have stopped. And why did he stop? Because he was listening. See, let me help you. If you want to exercise the servant heart in this world, you're going to have to open your ears to the cries of people. Every moment of every day, wherever you go, people are crying for help. 
And Jesus stopped because he heard. And when you hear and you love Jesus and Jesus loves you and you have a servant's heart, you will stop no matter where you were headed, no matter what you were doing or how important it was. Because that's what servants do. You ready for this? He stopped and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Hey, cheer up, dude. On your feet, he's calling you. It's just how I read it, sorry. Could have been different. Throwing his cloak aside. I shared this this morning and somebody, somebody ran up and said, do you realize what he just did by throwing his cloak aside? Like the widow gave the mic, that would have been everything he had. He chucks it aside. Oh, man, you know. See, Jesus changes everything. When God uses us, chucks it aside. Matter of fact, he doesn't come back to it. Here's why. Keep reading. Chucks it aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Jesus said, what do you want me to do? Not only are we hearing, and when we're hearing, we stop. But when we stop, we ask what we can do. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And so Jesus says to the blind man, what would you like for me to do for you? And he says, I just want to see. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Go. And he followed Jesus, never turning back. How many people, if we would just be the servants that God has called us to be, would leave everything and follow Jesus? If we would listen, be listening, and stop and do to others as you would have them do to you. Well, I'm out of time. I was going to do this fun thing on the whiteboard, but we're done. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 8. Stand with me. Here's our prayer. It's what Paul asked of us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a what? Servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When you come to Jesus, you take your agenda, you take your values, you take the kingdom of me, and you put them on a cross and you die to them. And we'll spend our life doing that. But to the degree that you will do that, the result is I am no longer about my agenda because that agenda died on the cross. I am about God's agenda. So when I say in Jesus' name, I'm not asking Jesus to bless my agenda that has nothing to do with his name. I am asking Jesus to bless his agenda that has everything to do with his name. How many of you in this place would say, I would love for God to grow a servant heart in me? 
Father, I pray for every raised hand. God, this moment, may it be supernatural. That awakening in the heart that would cause the mind to tell the hand to be raised is to say, I want that. And you said that even though we always don't want what we ought to want, that we can ask to want you. And we want to be your servants. That means we have to die to ourselves and the loves of this world. God, show us how. Surround us with people that will hold us accountable that we can be honest with. And Lord, I pray that we would see that the best way we can be like Jesus is to serve. And that serving comes in many forms. It starts every day when we wake up. It is in our family. It's in our neighborhood. It's in our community. It's in the coffee shop. It's in the marketplace. It's at our job. It's in our church. You have gifted us with talents and resources to bring hope to a lost world by simply meeting their needs, wanting no recognition because we desire all recognition to be yours. May people see Jesus when they see us because we are servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. Have a great week.